Welcome to the Rise and Search podcast. I'm your host, David Lovejoy, inviting you on an exploration of the global business landscape. Join me as we discover insights from world-class professionals. Ivan Karamoko, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Could you please introduce yourself to the audience? Hey, David, thank you so much um, for having me. It's a joy, a pleasure, an honor to get to chat. Um, but as you said, I'm Ivan Karamoko. I am uh, currently um, serving as uh, CEO of B&Do, uh, which is a talent development, leadership development firm um, that really looks to work with organizations um, and also with executive leader um, on the coaching side um, for them to be their best and to do their best, really looking at um, leaders being the best leaders um, and also doing their best work yet. Okay. What made you decide to go after that particular market? Yeah. So for my, my journey kind of started as an entrepreneur when I was 16 um, and from a young age, I would always kind of look for ways to, I, the only other way I can think to say it is ways to make money. Right. So I would look at what do people pay for? Uh, what are kind of the gaps that I see that I can fill? And of course, as a 12, 13, 14 year old, there, there aren't very many capabilities or resources that you have to kind of fill those. Um, but the opportunity kind of presented itself really at the earlier stages of what is now a completely different industry um, to start a social media uh, management company. And it was kind of this thing where um, instead of maybe having to traditionally get a job, I, I got to kind of start this company and, and consult as a social media manager. I think most of the people that hired me just thought this kid's young and knows what's happening. And I kind of fumbled my way through and picked up clients and ran it um, until 2020. So I, I say all of that to say I've, throughout my career, I've always kind of just looked for where are gaps, but then also what am I passionate about? So I, I, I realized one of the things about me that, that I've come to appreciate now a little bit more is that I am very competitive. Um, playing soccer and running track um, practically my entire life uh, have just developed this competitive drive in me. And for the longest time, I tried to figure out why am I so competitive? Why does winning matter so much to me? And this could be, you know, business on the field, but also even just simple game nights. I'm the guy that no one wants on their team if they are not as competitive. Um and I came to just this realization that I actually don't just like to win. I like to also help other people win. Um, and that is something that's at my core. And I realized that helping other people win also helped me. And so um, as, I, as I started being new, that, that was the idea is how do we help leaders win, whatever win winning looks like for them? How do we help them identify those things? And then use a little bit of uh, research and data, um, but also just experience um, to help them tap into um, that next level. How do you go from the leader that you currently are to the leader that you could be? Um, and also really just, you know, I think a large part of what I do with individuals is helping to hold them accountable to the things that they said they would do. And as long as that happened for all of us, um, 
you set the direction and set the course um, and keep taking steps along that course, uh, you eventually get to where you want to get to, right? Um, or where you envision you could get to. And then for organizations, I think my role is a little bit different in that I try to help them think differently about what leadership is um, on one hand, what delivering wow is what I call it, um, but an excellent customer experience also looks like for businesses that are a little bit more B and C um, and need to deliver an experience that makes someone come back, that makes someone uh, refer them, that makes someone want to do business with them again. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how we land here. Um, and I am absolutely loving it. That's great to hear. And you're also currently a PhD candidate for strategic leadership. Is that correct? Yes. So I am also at Oral Roberts University um, and I'm doing a doctorate in strategic leadership. And that was um, really looking at the research aspect of leadership and, and what's available and what's been done um, and recognizing that there is this gap between um, theory and practice that doesn't always get filled. Um, and so I'm using a lot of, you know, some of the things that we're studying and, and aligning with some of my own personal experience, experiences from uh, other phenomenal leaders and companies that, that we get to study and trying to help organizations and, and leaders uh, get better that way. That's great. So in serving clients, you're getting uh, information and learning that you can then probably apply into your thesis for your strategic leadership doctorates, right? Yes. So it's actually given me, I'm a little bit, I'm, I think I'm probably about a year away um, from starting to write, but um, I kind of through this have found kind of what I want to add um, to the field um, with my dissertation. And so it's also kind of served, you know, two purposes and that I, I, I'm also realizing what I'm passionate about when it comes to leadership and where there could be more research um, or there could be more insight added um, mm. to continue to push the discipline forward. Okay. I'd like to talk about leadership and what you're saying so far. You mentioned that you're helping people get from A to B. Are there common hurdles? Um, are there common, like, uh, pitfalls you fall into in, in trying to get people to uh, advance or, or grow? Yeah. So one of the this is one of the one of the things that that I have found or that I'm finding is so leadership. When, whenever you even say the word for for you or for anyone listening, it's 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 a very broad term, right? Mm -hmm. So um, there are probably as many people that have tried to define the term as there are definitions. Um, of it, and a few things that I go back to that that I that I look at, and the first thing is that it's you know John Maxwell famously talks about how leadership is influence, and I, I believe that at its core, um, in the simplest of ways, it is influence. Um, but what is it influence for, right? So it's it's influence to move yourself, but it's also influence to move others in a direction. Um, and not just a direction, but it's, it's also getting yourself and others to, um, struggle, right. To want to accomplish something worthwhile. 
Um, so when I, you know, look at it from that perspective, I think, okay, so the challenge for all of us is, am I able to, and I think it starts with, with the individual, right? So how are you leading yourself? Right. And some of the things that I used to kind of identify that is how often do you follow through on the things that you said you would do, right? A lot of leaders will set out on a course and, and will set goals and will have objectives and will have habits that they want to start. And they, and one of the things I've found is more often than not, unless there's the accountability piece, and some people are great at doing it by themselves, but unless there's the accountability piece, most of the things that they want to do or say they want to do don't end up happening, right? So I, I, I measure leadership instead of just with, you know, certain, and most, most people look at leadership from this perspective of there are these traits, there are these skills, there are these behaviors, and I think that's great. But one of the things I've realized is if to lead is to bring yourself somewhere and to lead people, then the best measure of leadership ought to be, um, would people, do the people that follow me enjoy following me, right? And another way to say that is, would you follow you, right? Mm, and yeah. looking at it from that perspective kind of changes a little bit of some of the things that we, you know, naturally focus on because it's no longer about, um, am I the leader that's charismatic? Am I the leader that delivers results? Am I the leader that's fill in the blanks? And it becomes, what is the experience for the people on the other side of me? Does that make sense? It does a lot. It's funny how, like, how little we actually think about that myself anyway. Like, would I follow me? It's like, now you've got me thinking, like, I got a whole to-do list. Right, because, I, and I think, and that's for all of us, right? Because the, the question, what the question does is it forces us to deal with the things that maybe we put off to the side and don't really think about, right? But if I wouldn't follow me, then we, I, I couldn't expect anyone else to want to follow me or even enjoy following me. So that's the, the kind of the framework that I approach development with. Um, it's to be a leader worth following is um, to be the kind of leader that other people go, man, if they go to this other, I mean, you know, and I can go into this whole other tangent, but you hear of people talk about um, following leaders to the ends of the earth. And mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what the business is. It doesn't matter what the organization is or the industry, but you hear of people that, that have either stayed with a company um, maybe even longer than the anticipated or that have left a company uh, because the leader that they were under has left the company and has started something else that companies provide benefit and provide a space to bring talents, abilities. But realistically, it's, it's leadership that gets people to stay and it's also leadership that gets people to go, right? Mm. Yeah. So um, if you're not a leader worth following, then then what's inevitable is that people will not want to be on your team, right? So you may have the title, but are they just walking along or are they willingly following? It's almost like vanity metrics on social media, like who's actually engaging versus how many quote unquote followers you have. Exactly. Exactly. That's a great way to look at it. It's interesting. When you, uh, given what you do, when you think of a leader, I'm just curious, does your mind go towards a political leader or a business leader or a sports leader? 
man, when I think of a leader, my, my mind actually goes to a spiritual leader, um, interestingly enough, um, by, by all accounts, I think of Jesus Christ. Um, and, and interestingly enough, um, a lot of my uh, leadership studies or principles really come from the way Jesus led. Um, and the, the, the key that I, I think I, I come to is this. One, are you a leader worth following? But what happens in the process of your leadership is really kind of what determines that. So um, Jesus lays out this model, um, and, and you can look at this from, um, from many of his followers, but I, I like to look at one of his followers being Peter. Um, and you find this guy who is... Um, and I'm paraphrasing and just giving my opinion of the guy, but based on what we get from religious text in the Bible, um, a guy that's you know maybe a little bit outspoken, that maybe is passionate, um, but is maybe not the guy that you would go, this is the person that I'm going to entrust this thing that I'm building. Um, and we see the, the fact that he messes up. We see the many times that we go, oh, maybe I would have answered that way as well. And, and throughout his life, or at least what we see throughout scripture, we find that Peter goes from this guy that we in the gospels to this guy that um, is essentially leading the advancement of um, Christianity at that point. And there's this element of transformation that I really appreciate um, that I, I believe that to be a leader worth following is to be a leader that transforms people, not because of any specific ability or power that you have, but I think that 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 the the key is listening to where people want to go and, and the, their goals and aspiration, and really combining it if it's within an organization, combining it um, with where the organization is going, so that you can inspire this idea of like a shared. Um, vision, right? So it's it's no longer where's the organization going, but it's where are we going um, with the combination of organizational objectives, but also what are the, the, the personal things that, that the individual has, whether it's for themselves, their family, or their career. This idea of transformative leadership um, is is really what I what I go a lot back to when I think about um, a model. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It makes a lot of sense having like a spiritual core and that being your quote unquote North Star to use a buzzword. Um, and it would guide you in uncertainty and ambiguity, which it seems like we're facing more and more these days. Um, so, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Uh, you have kind of an interesting background uh, with your family as well. Could you talk a little bit about uh, like your, your family, your dad in particular? Yeah, so I am originally from the Ivory Coast, um, West Africa, right next to Ghana. Um, I would call it the most beautiful country in the world. I am very biased, and uh, that's okay. Um, and the way that we actually came to the United States um, when I was 10 and my dad got a job working um, here at the mission of the Ivory Coast at the United Nations, um, and that kind of really shifted everything for um my entire family and kind of put us on this trajectory of um, where we currently are. Um, so 
for him, trained accountant, um, but uh, career diplomat also. Um, worked there and, and, and kind of did that for two and a half years and then moved down to work uh, for the Ivorian Embassy in Washington, D.C. So then our family moved um, down to D.C. as well. And so there's this element and aspect of kind of my upbringing being um, having this mentality of uh, um, diplomacy and foreign relations and and even how countries interact with one another, um, the the politic aspect and the diplomatic the uh, diplomacy of it all, but then also like what's also what's actually happening um, outside of maybe what you know the news reports on or what um, the general public is kind of privy to. Um, and it's really informed even the way I think about business and life and, and, and relationships, um, but also development. I was the kid that would ask my dad all these questions as a kid. You know, I would, I would look at the, con- so we're, we're from the Ivory Coast, who's in Africa, and I would look at the continent and I would go, man, it seems to me like the only difference between, you know, the United States or Europe or, um, some of these developed countries um, just seems to be opportunity, right? So then I would ask my dad these questions of, okay, so is it a matter of not having resources? Is it a matter of not having opportunity? Like what, what, what's the, what's the issue? Cause there was all, I would, you know, I, I came from this background of people that are hardworking, that are brilliant, that are interested in moving forward Yet, and I speak for the Ivory Coast primarily, but also for the continent of Africa as a whole, it seems that every time there's an attempt to maybe move forward, that doesn't always happen. Um, and so I, I, I was always just confused and I would always just ask him all of these questions about, well, okay, so so how, how much money would you estimate that 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 the country or the government makes, you know, per day and, and kind of what are the activities that, that are leading start auditing the nation. Right. And obviously he didn't know all the answers, but he was giving me guesses and, and, and things that, that he would think based on um, some of the information that he was privy to. And I would, I, I even would go, okay, so, so there's opportunity and there's resources. Um, but the two things that I think were different and are different is mindset and a lack of leadership, right? Uh, or a lack of what would be considered good leadership, right? Because leadership could be good or bad. Um, and that's always kind of informed the way that I look at um, Africa as a continent and, and really even any developing nation. Um, I go, okay, so what, what's missing? And, um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but it gives me more questions. So, so that's something, uh, it, it does answer my question, but, uh, you did make me think about, um, like given your dad's uh, experience and your experience asking and traveling with your dad, what, what are your thoughts as far as, uh, why the Ivory Coast in this example, um, like what do you what do you think contributes to that mindset and that like um, like lack of leadership uh, as you put it? Yeah, so I think 
the the mindset of and and unfortunately I, it, it's still fairly prevalent and I, I may even catch some slack for saying it or for saying it this way but when you when you look at countries like the United States or you look at Canada or you look at France or any European nation there's this there's this term um, when it comes to because I think it, it definitely starts with political leadership um, because there's a lot of power that's then passed down from from those seats um, you look at this term of public service right and and this idea of and if you even go back in time you, you look at this idea of people that um, had careers that were pillars in the community that then chose to serve the community um, in political office and add whatever value um, to make society or the community or the country or whatever you're looking at um, better, right? So that's, that's, that's a little bit of at least the history of that. If you look at it in specifically the Ivory Coast, or even if you look at it um, in Africa in general, the mindset often when it comes to, and it's not always, and I think it is changing, um, but was how do I get in a position of power so that I can serve myself? Does that make sense? And, 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 and that mentality really comes from this idea of being on the continent, there maybe aren't as many opportunities, right? So if there aren't as many opportunities, many people have found that this is the way for me to provide opportunity to myself and my family. And, and, and naturally, I don't think there's anything wrong with it um, to want better for yourself and for your family. But what happened in, in that process, right, is that it was this family or this political group over the rest of the country. And so you hear stories of embezzlement and you hear of stories of bribery and you hear of all of these stories because somewhere along the line, someone said, I need to do this to put my family or the people that I'm with in a better position. And that came at the cost of everyone else. Does that make sense? It does. I wonder if how much of that is human nature, like uh, they say absolute power corrupts absolutely. Um, and maybe like how much of that are, are systems in place. So uh, the founding fathers of the US, I think um, at least you know uh, what we learn in history uh, might be kind of airbrushed a little bit, but uh, they, they were aware of uh, the, the threat of tyranny. And so they built in checks and balances so that even if um, some like someone got in that wasn't maybe the best leader, uh, didn't have the best character, maybe gave in to that greed, um, they couldn't uh, take control of the whole system easily. There'd be uh, some pushback um, built in diversity, if you will. Um, now it looks like there, there are ways around that, unfortunately, but um, it, I wonder how much of that do you think is uh, like a system and how much of that do you think is a culture or are they uh, distinguishable? I would probably say that it is human nature um, um, you want better for yourself, right? This idea of even survival, right? Survival for me happens as I am able to, um, at the most basic level, um, eat and have shelter and, and, and so on. Um, but then survival for my family and those that I'm around comes as I find opportunity or create opportunity. 
So I think it's it's a very natural human thing. I think what what we didn't have, and I and many countries don't have, is this um, idea of checks and balances that really allow um, whether it's a person or a group to have more control or power um, than is necessary. And, you know, on the flip side, you think. Um, if you look at it from a matter of like economic capacity in those countries, you, you have a little bit more susceptibility to bribery, right? Because you have fewer opportunities um, to, you know, generate economic um, wealth, if, if I could even call it that. Um, and so because that's the case, people are more likely to jump at any opportunity that 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 maybe they wouldn't have unless you know they were in, if they were in a different situation. So I think it's both. I think it's 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 our nat- natural instincts, but I think it's also the lack of checks and balances in a way that puts the interest of whether it's a city or a region or a country um, above the needs of the leaders. Yeah. If I'm being honest, I don't know that I would deny a billion dollar bribe and rationalize myself into still being a good person. So I think um, there probably needs to be like certain checks and balances that uh, don't allow me like that option. <laughs> um, right. I, I like, like, and I wonder if I, it's, it's like, yeah, I think you need a little bit of chaos, a little bit of flexibility for innovation and stuff, but then like an upper cap where it doesn't get too far out of hand. Because um, I, I would imagine you're, you're going to have an advantage being a leader, like uh, you have insights to, to information sooner, um, which I heard someone describe as time travel, which I thought was a really interesting concept. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't. That is interesting. In some sense, like intellectual time travel, if nothing else, like if you have information before me, you're in the future. I don't have it yet. And you can operate with that information. So you have an advantage and um, hopefully it kind of averages out. But uh, I thought that was really interesting. If you can control more information and delay uh, its dissemination to, to your the people that you're leading or something like that, you're essentially in the future. Um, so that's that's going to give the leader some, or leadership some advantage. That's really interesting, even when you think about kind of this next phase, right, like this connected economy that we are currently living in, where as long as really you have a cell phone that you're able to participate at a greater level than you could have maybe 20 years ago. And it's almost this idea that the the, the playing field is being a little bit more leveled, right? Um, as information is more accessible um, to more people uh, and systems and tools that may be required, you know, you think of, uh, uh, financial payments, for example, where you maybe would have needed to go to a traditional bank. Um, now you can send and receive money or, or, uh, have transactions for your business with, you know, just your smartphone and how even some of that technology is revolutionizing the way that entrepreneurs in, um, Africa and Brazil and you know China and India are, are even able to operate and how there's almost this like level playing field the more access to technology but also information that people are able to have I've recently become more excited 
about emerging markets for a similar reason. In some ways, they have an advantage that developed economies don't have and that they can innovate faster and they can experiment. Um, so like they can go straight to like Web3 and have like, uh, like I spoke to this gentleman from India who helped address the unbanked population. Like there's hundreds of millions of people who are unbanked and now they've got like cashless payment systems and smartphones, whereas other people are having to like, you know, try to go to a brick and mortar during banking hours or something like that. And it's like, so in some ways the developed economies are behind and in other ways, um, in some ways the emerging economies can actually be leaders. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a, there's a book that we read, um, I can't remember the name of it now, but the author is CK Prahalat and he's, I believe Indian, but also a professor, I want to say at the university of Michigan and I, I, I may not be right. Um, but one of the, uh, videos that, that we watched and before reading the book, he was talking about this idea of, uh, BOP strategies in, in countries that would be um, considered as, um, and there are two in, interchangeable terms, base of the pyramid or bottom of the pyramid. I like base of the pyramid a lot better than bottom. Um, but, but this idea that, that um, in these uh, base of the pyramid countries, there's this unique opportunity for entrepreneurs, but also even corporations to create solutions to problems um, based on the context that they find themselves in rather than the context that um, the uh, innovation maybe started from, right? So you look at like, so if we continue on that path of um, these mobile payments, right? In developed countries, the, the necessity kind of created itself right as as we went more and more digital and initially the idea was you know i can you know send my my child or my friend or whoever um money without having to give them cash right uh, and so we obviously walk down that path and businesses are using it and and, and it's developed a lot further but then you have these base of the pyramid entrepreneurs like like you just bring up that go, OK, so that's what it was originally created for. How do we make that something that creates and adds value within our markets and our context so that one, it makes sense because, you know, they still have to generate um, profits, um, but that it also still serves the people that we're looking to um, serve with our product. So. It's an interesting way to, to, to definitely look at that. Hmm. You got it right for the record. C.K. Prahalad is at University of uh, Michigan. Just look that up. So thank you for introducing him to me. I'll check it out. Check out his work more. Uh, so speaking of Ivory Coast and uh, perhaps even Africa in general, if we can, uh, what are your what are your thoughts? What's your vision? What's your hope for the entrepreneurial and leadership uh, for the your your um, ancestral country and uh your ancestral continent. Yeah, I, you know, I, I love humanity. I think there is something just so beautiful about um, who we are um, innately as people. Um, if you just look at people just for 
the value um, that they have. And I think that there is so much value in people all over the world. Um, I think some parts of the world have probably tapped into um, what's within a little bit sooner than others. But when I look at Africa, I, I really just, you know, see how much um, potential there is, but just also how much brilliance, um, whether it's it's with um, entrepreneurs or business leaders or um, political leaders, even um, in, in, in some aspects. And so I think we're, we're finally being ushered into this era of the Ivory Coast specifically, but Africa as a whole, um, utilizing the resources that it has and, and also the brilliance of Africans um, to compete at a global stage um, where it hasn't been possible yet, if that makes sense. And so um, I, I, one of, you know, my goals and really one of the things that I'm even looking into right now with, with be and do, yes, um, but also just personally is, is what this revolution of entrepreneurs that, that, that creates solutions um, for their countries, their communities, their, their nations that, that add value, but also that, that bring opportunity to people that, that would not have it before. Um, one of the organizations that's, that's leading in that and doing it very well, in my opinion, is uh, Smart Africa, um, and and their heart with bringing African, not just really African entrepreneurs, but, but businesses, organizations, even governments in some aspects, um, to this place of being able to um, show up and compete on the global stage, um, just like you know an entrepreneur in Silicon Valley um, or um, a political leader um, in New York or wherever it may be that that they're putting together resources and, and bringing together people um, to help businesses, entrepreneurs, NGOs, um, just organizations as a whole um, operate at a higher level um, and at a capacity that I truly believe will um, just be the catalyst for this movement, um, where not just in Africa, but I, I think these base of the pyramid countries will go from, um, needing a hand out or a hand up, um, to really being able to collaborate. And I think that's, that's the sweet spot of this next era that I'm really excited for that, that I think the, the studies of the research even indicate, um, is happening or will happen, um, but that doesn't happen unless you know individuals kind of play their part within it. And so, um, for me, I'm looking at what what does that look like um, practically, um, and even looking at you know what are some of the things that we can do in the Ivory Coast because I've I've practically grown up in the United States. I moved here when I was ten. I've been here for 21 years now, and I've seen the the kind of the mode of operation if you could call it that of 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 
Western countries, if I can call them that, um, and still have this belief that that some of the things that that have happened here or able to happen here can happen there. And it's really just a matter of bridging the gap um, and finding ways to serve people. So I'm constantly talking to, to friends and relatives and, and, and looking at, okay, so what what what's an issue? And that's really what I'm even looking for now. What is an issue that um, I personally want to be a part of solving? And I think um, helping bridge that leadership gap is definitely at the core. Um, but even just within the marketplace or um, for you know, government organization or um, NGOs or whatever that looks like. Um, how do we add value and how do we empower people uh, to really step up and to bring solutions um, that serve humanity um, beyond just our borders, right? I think for the longest time, Africa would really, Africa and really developing countries, if I can, and I you know, I say Africa just for the sake of being able to, to have the conversation because um, it is, you know, individual countries that have their own context and systems and, and histories and all of that. But um, for the context of the conversation, um, have for the longest time maybe gotten the overflow um, from the rest of the world and um, have probably survived on crumbs. And I, I kind of see this idea of like, having our own cups full and being able to also overflow back. So instead of just this one way uh, receiving, um, but being able to contribute um, and how that kind of um, levels the playing field, if I could, if I could call it that. Yeah. I look at it almost as grow the pie because uh, a more prosperous world makes for a more prosperous world. So uh, like we're, I um, have kind of evolved my thinking over um, like like who and what I am, for example. Like I think when you're uh, younger, you think of yourself as like a separate entity, almost like a planet unto itself. And um, I've started to realize that like none of my thoughts, if any, very little of my thoughts are actually my own. Like they're built on things I've read, things I've heard, people I've spoken to. A lot of it's unconscious. Um, a lot of it's transient. The world's changing around me. Um, so I can't really like take maximum pride over anything that I do because it's uh, both borrowing from and belonging to um, the species basically. And um, and then that's, you know, if you wanna get like biological with it, like we're, we're exchanging like cells, we're, we're taking stuff from the sun. I mean, there's like, we're, we're a conduit for existence. It's not like we're just like, here I am. So, um, I mean, there's a little bit of that. I don't wanna discourage anyone from like being, you know, an actor or performing, but um, it's, uh, we're, we're part of a larger whole more than we might realize. Um, and so if uh, if other people are, are um, other countries, other cultures, other companies, et cetera, are innovating and developing, that's great. And um, I look at, even if you want to like going back to competition, I look at competition as largely good. Um, as long as it's like healthy competition, not like, like if you're sabotaging someone because you want that title, like you said, like the empty title where it's like, oh, I, I'm CEO now, I'm the gold medalist, I'm whatever. That's actually a disservice to you because that's not forcing you to grow. Like if we're racing you and I, you'd probably win first of all. But second of all, if we're racing you and I, um, the faster you get, 
the harder I push. Cause like, if I don't need to push harder, like if one hour of training is enough for what I need to do, but you're showing me that two hours is actually better then I'm actually faster than I would have been otherwise. And that's just like a, a racing analogy, but you take extrapolate that to whatever um, kind of uh, generative AI or marketing theory, et cetera. Um, so I, I look at it as just a, a win-win. Right. Yeah, definitely. I, I love, I even love just that analogy because in that we all, we're all better because of it. Right. And, and, whoever has, you know, if you look at it, even from like this perspective of, you know, within an industry market share, um, whoever has the most market share is still pushing the or the company that has the least to figure out ways um, to provide value to consumers or customers in a way that either hasn't been done before or in a way that that, that gives them a competitive advantage. Um, so that they're able to, you know, grab a little bit more of that market share. But realistically, if you look at it, the industry as a whole um, gets better because of it, because the for all of those companies, if we just talk about companies, um, the same they have similar purposes. Right. And so that purpose of delivering value to a consumer, however, whatever that looks like, become becomes that much better through competition. Um because you now have more ways um, and, and, and probably even better value being delivered. And if you look at that just from humanity as a whole, that, that as we get better, we push one another to also get better. Not necessarily that maybe we're competing, but it's, it's the greatness in someone else that, that maybe pushes me to go, oh, well, that's possible. Um, and it's possible for me. I just need to figure out what that, what that means or what that looks like. Right. And there's like this hallway of mirrors, uh, kind of analogy that I like where you could do something for some reason. Again, let's maybe stick with the racing analogy. Uh, you have your own reasons for wanting to do that. Maybe when you were a kid, you saw a, a runner and that's what you know, inspired you. Maybe it had to do with like a, an uncle or who knows what, but you've got your reasons for it. You've got what it means for you when you accomplish that. And then you're inspiring someone else, but you're inspiring them in ways different than the way that you were inspired. So they might take something completely differently from your accomplishment and go off in an offshoot that you wouldn't have uh, expected. And then that could inspire someone else. So it's like, it all comes back to your uncle or whoever it was that inspired you or whoever inspired them, et cetera. So it's like an interesting like hallway of mirrors where um, then eventually uh, like a, a, an offshoot of an offshoot winds up inspiring you again in a way that you didn't anticipate. Maybe they're an author, maybe they're, you know, who knows what, but a totally different industry. Um, so I, I think that's kind of cool too. At least I like to think of it that way. Yeah. And I think that's probably even the, one of the, one of my favorite parts about the human experience, if I can call it that, um, with, with even, um, creativity and ingenuity, um, because we might encounter the same problem, but, but think about solutions completely differently based on, um, our perspective, right? And um, if, you, if you look at that and go, man, the things that you see are not the things that, that I see, the, the ways that, that, that my experience have, has really shaped me is not the same way that your experience has shaped you. And so if you, if you look at it from that perspective, we really you know, all inspire and um, innovate based on what we see, what we read, what we take in, and 
but also the experiences that we have. And it's almost this, this continuous um, cycle um, where we, we create or, or put something forth that inspires someone in a completely different way that, you know, just keeps coming back around. And I love that because if, you know, if you go back to even how we kind of started this conversation is where I see the amount of value, right, that that every individual possesses, um, because whether it's perspective, whether it's information, whether it's ideas, um, creativity, they're, they're all things that, that I believe are, are innate and that we get to um, really pull out of each other, right? Because your greatest contributions um, to the world are within you, right? But they're not for you. Um, that, that, that your best gifts or talents, um, although you may possess them, um, you don't really get to enjoy them or at least firsthand enjoy them, that, that they're really for, um, the world to enjoy. And, you know, maybe you, you get secondhand value, whether it's, you know, accomplishments and accolades and, and money or whatever. Um, but, but at the core but <laughs> but at but at the core, um, who you are and what you provide isn't even for you. That 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 what you benefit the most from is actually what someone else has. I really like that. I hadn't thought of it in those terms and 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 the way that you put that. But I that's really beautiful. It's almost like we're each rich in like a foreign currency that we can't spend, uh, and but like someone else can spend. Um, I like, I like the way you put it better, but that's just where my mind went with it. Um, but then also like kind of, you know, like the joy you get from helping someone else is usually better than the joy you get from buying something for yourself or whatever. So it, it, it plays into that a little bit too, where we're supposed to participate. I think um, anytime we're a little bit too concerned, it's because we're not participating. Um, so if you're participating in something like the, the ego kind of uh, gets um, diluted, and uh, you're, you're part of the greater whole. Uh, and like, I like the way you put it, where the, your greatest gifts are within you, but not for you. Yeah, I love that. That's, and that's, one of the, that's one of the things that kind of really motivates me to, to, to I, I have this list of things that I, that I look at every day. And, and, and one of them is give everything and die empty. Oh, okay. I like that. That we all have something to give and the goal isn't to to keep it all but it's to give and to provide it um and that at the end of you know and obviously none of us know when our lives end but a life well lived is probably one that that found all the different ways to give um whether it's you know financially or of yourself or time or however you um, want to look at that, but that they're the, the best use of what you have on earth is to give it, you know, that, that as someone else receives it, that, that that's the greatest joy. Um, there's a proverb that talks about, um, how it's, it's actually, um, those who refresh others that find refreshing, right. That, that it's not, that you're not refreshed as, as you, withhold but that you're refreshed as you actually give um 
I just love that concept. Me too. Yeah, I, I um, on a more, I guess, macro scale, I saw that with uh, some countries and I, I like history. I'm not like an expert, but I, I read here and there about different countries, different regions, histories. And um, oftentimes, I think everywhere has um, had their insular periods where they wanted to put up walls metaphorically or otherwise um, to conserve their culture. Um, interesting because like I said, like the culture didn't just sprout from the ground. It was already like transient, but they're like, nope, I want to keep this exactly as it is. And um, what's interesting is almost always that uh, is like a death knell for the for the empire, kingdom, whatever, because that's not how it was designed. Um, and uh, so it's kind of interesting on a personal level, like you touched on where, you know, you're, you're you know, the whole purpose is to then participate, let go. And that's where you get the greatest uh, rewards, ironically. Well, this has been really interesting. Uh, I could talk to you for another hour, but I should probably stop here. Uh, is there like anything that you wanted to highlight about like what you're working on now or where people could check out some of your work? Yeah, I mean, I am fully um, just focused on this idea of helping leaders be the best leaders and do their best work. Um, and so whether it's, you know, for an organization or for an individual, um, through executive coaching, that's that's really where I am just finding the most joy and adding um, as much value as I possibly can. Um, you can kind of see more, read more about that um, just on our website, bndu.co. Um, had to find something that um, was simple. <laughs> um, and so it's just bndu.co. I, you know, on a different note, thought about different things with my name and my last name and but then i would always go to how do you spell that and obviously i know how to but it makes it a lot easier for people so for just more ways on on um how i can help whether it's your organization develop better leaders or for you to be a better leader um bndu.co and there are different things that we do and offerings that we provide to um provide value um and contribute great well, Yvonne, thanks for talking to us today. It's been a real pleasure. Here's to dying empty. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I've definitely enjoyed um, this conversation and even just getting to know you. I, I appreciate the opportunity. and um, It's been fun. Thank you for listening to the Rise and Search podcast. I hope that our conversation has sparked some new ideas and given you valuable insights that you can carry forward in your own journey. Until next time, eyes on the horizon.